Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a business growth strategist, where I help business owners grow and scale to create freedom and choice. And today, I have an awesome guest. He's an entrepreneur and the CEO of eReleases, where he helps influencers and businesses tell their story to the world. He believes that with some effort and a little money, the possibilities are endless. He's an expert at helping small businesses, authors, and startups increase their visibility and credibility. And he founded eReleases 23 plus years ago after realizing that small businesses desperately need a press release service they can actually afford, giving them access to the media and to the national newswire, all with a personal touch. And he holds an MFA in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry from George Mason University. And his press releases have resulted in articles being published in the Wall Street Journal, CNN, Bloomberg, and many other prestigious news outlets. Welcome, Mickey Kennedy, and thank you for being on my show. Oh, thanks for having me. You're welcome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be awesome for everyone watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. Right. So about 25 or 26 years ago, I was in a creative writing program uh, doing an MFA in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry. And I just assumed I was going to wait tables the rest of my life and write poetry in the evenings. And I did that for a summer after graduating and realized that it's too much work. It's too much, you know, physically being on your feet 12 hours in a day on concrete is exhausting. And my mind at the end of the day was so shot. I, I, I quit reading, I quit writing, and I realized I needed an office job. So I applied and was accepted as employee number three at a telecom research uh, startup. And the, they said, hey, you're the writer. We need you to write press releases and send them to the media for us. And so that was completely new to me. But it turns out, uh, you know, being the author of data and numbers was really valuable information. So I would uh, fax out press releases and invariably we'd get like maybe three or four phone calls a day from journalists saying, hey, I really like that. Could you email me the press release or those numbers that you have? Because we published a lot of data. And a light bulb went off and said, I shouldn't be faxing. I should be emailing. And so I spent about a year reaching out to journalists and asking them if I could email them press releases. And when I launched, uh, I had 10,000 journalists in my database. And it just sort of grew from there. Over time, the Newswire approached me and said, you should also send through us. And I pointed out, I charge $250 to move a press release. You charge $1,200 to move a press release nationally. And uh, eventually they caved and said, look, you're, you're serving a market that we don't. And we would like to support small businesses and entrepreneurs. So um, we want to make it work. And so, you know, we, we offer a national distribution through PR Newswire with us, um, but you don't have to pay anything close to that price. Uh, you do have to be a bona fide small business to be able to take advantage of us, but um, it, it, it's a really great value because generally you have to be a large company who can afford to spend $1,200, $1,400 on a press release uh, in order to, to go over the wire. And, you know, through e-releases, you're able to do that for substantially less, for as little as 269 for a new customer special. 
Yeah. Awesome, mate. Great story of, um, yeah, how your background and you sort of fell into it, so to speak, um, into that way and then made the most of it, um, which is awesome. So, um, yeah, let, let's get delve into more about, um, you know, media coverage and these press releases. So how might, you know, a company use media coverage to improve our, you know, conversions and, and to get more sales in our business? Right. So I will tell you that the majority of press releases that we receive are not newsworthy at all. We get uh, press releases where the company has a new product that has been around a while, but now it's a new iteration with a few new features. So they do a press release. Um, they might hire a new VP of HR. So they do a press release and they use a service like ours. Uh, the, the newswire is just chock full of releases that are not meaningful and not newsworthy. Um, I tell people, if you have a personnel change, send it to your local media and maybe send it to a couple of trade publications. No one else outside of that really cares. Um, what you should be doing if you're going to be issuing releases over a wire are more strategic types of press releases. And those require a little bit more work. But for example, um, you know, doing a survey or study in your industry is a great way to get media pickup. Generally, if you do a survey on your industry at any one particular in time, if you ask the right questions, a lot of people will want to know what the answers were. So for example, uh, right now we're going through supply chain issues, staffing issues, uh, there's un economic uncertainty. So if you ask questions like, are you spending less on your marketing dollars or more? Are you spending the same? Are you hiring? Or having difficulty hiring? Are you, you know, all of the answers to these types of questions are useful because other people in your industry are probably feeling uneasy about the same things. And there's a certain reassurance that if you're having a difficulty and others are having a difficulty, it makes you feel like, okay, we're not, our, there's nothing wrong with our company. We're just in a problem or an issue or a situation where other people are dealing with the same thing. So th that's why I think surveys work so well. And the great thing about it is in six months, it's going to be a completely different time period. You can ask the same questions and publish a survey and you will probably get picked up as much as you did previously, just because the numbers are going to skew differently six months later. Um, and, you know, being strategic, coming up with ideas for a press release that may not be what you would normally think of uh, is, 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 a, is an approach that works really well. Uh, another thing that I recommend is so many people over the past 10 plus years have talked about newsjacking, where there's a trend in your industry and you want to just join the trend and ride the coattails to media success. It does not work. It, it worked maybe 10 plus years ago, but it doesn't work anymore because there's, you know, a thousand or 1500 people issuing the same press release, joining the same conversation with the same exact uh, message that's going out there. If you're willing to be contrarian on that uh, aspect or what that announcement is, you can get media pickup. So if everybody's saying, hey, this is uh, the way that we feel about the situation and you're going, hey, not so fast, here are the cons or the negatives about that situation, you stand a much greater chance of getting pickup because the media wants to be fair and balanced. They want to cover both sides. And if you're the only person out there pointing out the negative or the downsides, every time an article gets published, you stand the likelihood of being plugged in and mentioned in that article or story. So, uh, you know, th these are all just ways in which you can be, um, 
more newsworthy and make yourself more newsworthy. Uh, so many people approach PR from the standpoint of we've got this new thing or we've got this need to get more customers to buy this certain product. And what you really should be doing is looking at, hey, I recognize a journalist as a gatekeeper and he has a very valuable commodity, his audience or her audience. How can I make myself irresistible so that, that journalist would want to share what I'm doing with his audience. And if you can reverse engineer that, uh, sometimes using these newsworthy uh, ideas for press release or reverse engineering a, uh, your own announcement to fit the, uh, the, the mold of being newsworthy or being irresistible to the media, you have the likelihood of getting major media pickup. And it, it, is, it, is, it is something that I'm surprised that even good PR firms are not adept at being able to do for their clients. Yeah, awesome, mate. Love the uh, the in-depthness there of that answer. Really powerful to get us to thinking about, you know, the power of doing it right and, and being the contrarian. Um, so if we go a little bit deeper, like obviously there's a lot of media publications out there. We mentioned a few in your, in your intro. Um, what are some of the main media publications in your eyes that, you know, we should aim to be published in? So um, I think it really depends on where you are and who you're, customers are. I always believe that you should be targeting publications that your customers read. So if, you know, you're uh, an e-commerce platform and you're servicing, say, the U.S. market or several different markets, you want to make sure that you're targeting publications where your customers are are, are at. Um, in some places, it might be trade publications in that uh, your customer base is within a particular industry. And so a trade publication is appropriate. In some cases, it could be magazines, TV, or radio. It really varies. And so I, I, I always start with where are your customers and then sort of try to figure out what are the publications that your customers are reading or naturally would subscribe to. And then target those places. That being said, you know, sometimes people have different goals. I've, I represented a, a client who was a local auto repair shop in Pennsylvania, and they wanted to target auto trade publications. None of their customers subscribe to auto trade publications, but it was within their industry and they were looking for SEO links uh, because they had a new domain name. And so that was their goal. So I said, okay. So we did a survey with them. It did phenomenally well. I think we got like over 10, perhaps as many as 15 auto trade publications picked up the, the, the survey and wrote about it. And uh, we got, I would say probably almost 20 or 30 newspapers picked it up, including their local newspaper. So Potentially some of their customers did see it, but that wasn't their goal. And so I always say, start with your customers, but also look at what your goals are. Um, in some cases, the goals, they may not necessarily uh, align with the customer base, but you know, as a business owner, I say, start with the money and try to target places where your customers are at. Yeah, nice. Great. Definitely analogy there on, on focusing on the customers. Um, I don't know, just because obviously I, I work with a lot of businesses and understand how, how they think. Some people would like to look at the name of things, right? Like, you know, we mentioned, I'll give the example, like the Wall Street Journal, right? Which is a, a famous media publication. And they're like, oh, you know, how do I get in the Wall Street Journal? Um, you know, things like that. So 
And I know from my understanding, I'm sure you can go deeper is like some of these higher end media publications, you can't, if you just know one and you haven't done any media before, it's very unlikely that you're going to be getting in there. Um, you know, you sort of need to build some sort of credibility, I'm assuming first before, you know, they will pick you up unless there's something big that happens right um, in there. So is there some tips or something about like, if someone's going, okay, I want to be shown in some of the biggest platforms um, in the world, um, not necessarily a process, but there's some tips, I guess, of what makes us more appealing, you know, to to then, um, yeah, be able to get on those bigger publications as well. Right. So I think for the bigger publications, it's trying to be out of the park newsworthy. And so if it's a survey or study that you've done, what are the questions or the aha moments that were in that survey that are really surprising? And make sure that when you do your press release and talk about 64% of respondents felt a certain way, you want to make sure you have really great quotes as to your analysis of why you felt that the survey skewed a certain way. So if you back a survey with really great quotes that shows your analysis of the market saying, based on my experience with the market, I believe that two thirds of my uh, industry feels that uh, they should be spending less on marketing dollars over the next year is because, you know, we've just come out of a, a major uh, recession. We've, you know, whatever it is that you're saying, just really just put some energy and thought into that quote and make it seem you want it to be something that can't be easily paraphrased so that the journalist wants to copy and paste what you said and include it in the article. That's a great way to ensure that a story that's good stands the likelihood of being great. And uh, the publications like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, all of the giant uh, newspapers and, and places like that, they want to be known for publishing great information and data. And so if they're going to include a quote from someone, they want it to be an amazing quote. So uh, I, I think that so many times people write quotes uh, just as being safe. It's more summary and it's not really, it doesn't really sing. And, you know, my background being poetry, I feel like you can really, you know, jazz up your language, um, be very concise, but very eloquent. And that's a place where you can stand to be a little creative is, is putting that quote uh, or two quotes in your press release. And I think that's a great way for these big publications to say, hey, this, this is an interesting survey, but this is an amazing quote and I can build a good story around it, a good article. Yeah, love that. Thank you for, for doing that and um, getting us um, some key tips on and how to do that. And yeah, it's awesome that you were a poet um, originally, and obviously now you've um, you know transitioned well um, in the um, you know technology and software space. So how did you? Yeah, from from being a poet, then you know you learn to use you know cutting edge technology to innovate and you know scale your business as well. Right. So for me, it was just I I like technology. I like new stuff. Uh, I like to learn. And I, working for a telecom startup, we were asked to do a lot of things. And so we were using online tools. A lot of the stuff was becoming new and new software and new techniques. And so it was, a, it was changing. Um, I think the big thing uh, 20 some years ago was bloggers. All of a sudden you had these people who would just set up a website 
And all of a sudden, they, they would have more traffic than the industry trade publication. Uh, they became an authority. So where you got your media was changing. It's changed so much more with social media. There are people on Instagram in the fashion arena that are much more influential than fashion news publications and things like that. And the good thing is that the wires, in the case uh, PR Newswire that we work with, they are very accepting of, of, of these new media uh, presence and influencers and people that are out there. And so they're letting their platform be available to anyone who is wanting to uh, collect data and have these news feeds and be able to customize these news feeds so it's really relevant for them. So that they're scanning for articles or press releases that are, are relevant to them and that they can turn into the news, uh, that they can turn into stories or even just tiny little mentions. Yeah, love it, mate. Powerful uh, the transition there. And um, I do love tech as well. Um, I've, my parents took me to a place called Future Kids when I was six years old um, and learned off the original Windows 3.1, the blue screen. I don't know if you remember that, but um, yes, <laughs> fun times and how, how we, things have changed um, since then of where we are today. And yes, we definitely need to um, harness that, um, you know, to, to grow our business a lot. And um, I know that, you know, with your business, um, you've been able to double your revenue by, you know, welcoming new clients with this virtual red carpet, um, you know, that no matter what they spend with you. Do you want to maybe delve a little bit deeper into that on how you, yeah, were able to double your revenue? Right. So uh, I had always been challenged with how do you create a connection with uh, uh, an e-commerce customer, someone who just ordered on your website. And so I looked at lots of little ways in which we can try to make a connection with them. One of the things that we do is we take a picture in front of a whiteboard, welcoming them by their name. And, you know, we, we email that to them. We send them a copy of a book um, that I'd written. And it's about these press release strategies that I have that are, you know, winning types of press releases. And uh, we send them a letter. We also send them ideas for their next press release, where we looked at their website, looked at their press release, and gave them some ideas for what potentially what their next press release could be. So we're trying to be a resource for them and to give them fuel towards building out a PR campaign because what we don't want is someone to try one press release and then cross it off and move on to Pinterest or something new, some new shining object. We want them to stay for a while and really explore PR because a proper PR campaign is anywhere from six to eight press releases. And you really want to make sure that you're doing six to eight strategic press releases. And you will definitely see results over that period and you want to make sure that you're you know really putting yourself forward in, in the way that makes most sense um you know initially i uh, sent all of our new customers a shock and awe box and it had uh like uh crab flavored chips all kinds of zany stuff and quirky stuff and uh a lot of people really liked it and it, it, they were excited by it it was fun and it fit, fit my personality, you know, the guy with the colorful glasses. And uh, one, uh, one customer came to me and said, hey, I really like you, but I don't think that this box you sent me is very professional. And it makes me wonder whether I should work with you. And I think anybody else might have just dismissed it and said, I've got 30 people who've said they love it. But the one thing I know is that when a customer complains to you about something that's affecting them, 
it might be affecting a lot more other people. So I did a split test. Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of A-B split test. Uh, for a six-month period, we took everybody um, that received the shock and awe box, and then we took the other half and we sent them a book with a letter, and it was very professional, welcoming them to e-releases. And then we measured that population for two years. And what we found out is at the end of those two years, the people who received the book and the letter, their lifetime value was already double what the people were who received the shock and awe box. And so she was right. For some reason, the people who received that box, it, 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 it felt to them as unprofessional. So I believe if you're going to grow your business, you want to split test landing pages, but also look at other things in your business that are opportunities to split. Uh, split test. In this case, that one customer who complained saved me a lot of money because I've looked at that population. Now it's been four and a half, five years later. The people who received the book are five times more revenue than the people who just received the, the box. And that's very eye-opening that you could be making lots of little mistakes in your business like that that don't seem to make sense, but all it takes is challenging a, per, a perception. And for me, a, a press release business, people want to work with someone who is presenting themselves more professional and they would rather receive a book with a lot of useful information in it than potentially receiving a box of fun. Yeah, so interesting, the power of um, yeah A-B testing and things like that in different ways and um, very interesting. Um, so awesome that you did that, mate. And um, yeah, you're reaping the benefits um, of, of doing that. So, um, and obviously, you know, we talk about scaling businesses, right? And you've been able to, um, you know, be a multiple seven-figure entrepreneur with, you know, scaling your business over 23 plus years. Um, and I guess at the start, you know, a lot of the business owners, um, you know, want to be into it, probably micromanaging a little bit, um, you know, doing everything. But then, you know, as you're growing your team, you really need to stop doing that and be able to work less and work on higher level tasks. So how did you go from sort of micromanaging um, to now being, yeah, the multiple seven-figure entrepreneur working, you know, maybe, you know, 30 odd hours a week? Right. So for me, I was a terrible micromanager of my staff. We on average, most people, uh, editors would come in and last about a year, year and a half. And I had mentioned to an HR consultant friend of mine that we were in a marketing mastermind together about how difficult things were. And after three years of being in this marketing mastermind, she says, look, I am a consultant for larger companies, but I'm tired that every time we're at these marketing masterminds, you're complaining about your staff. And she goes, let me just figure out what's wrong and maybe I can help you attract the right staff and, and get to what's wrong here. And she interviewed all my staff. She looked at the, we did some surveys of customers and she came back and said, oh, uh, just to let you know, there's no problem with your employees. They're perfect. Your customers love the customer service they get. They do a really great job. Your customers just hate you and uh, your staff hates you. And I'm like, what? And I was like, my customers don't hate me. They love me. And she goes, well, look, the customers foremost say that the reason that they're doing business with you is because of the care and customer service that they get. They appreciate you, but they don't, they don't like you very much. And she says, and your, and your employees, they don't like you at all. You stand over their shoulder, every, challenge everything that they say, 
and you're just bad. And she goes, the fact is no one is ever going to answer questions the way that you would answer them. No one is going to have the sales mentality of try to answer every question with a yes, even when you're saying no, that, that that's just a, you know, that's a skill set that you're not going to get the average customer service person now to, to develop and learn. And she's like, you just need to go home. And so in April of 2015, I got my staff together and said, I'm going to work from home now. And I've got someone in place to run the office. And uh, it was a, a maternal editor who wanted to step up and be the managing editor. And that's what happened. And most of the people that were there when I left are still there. And that was like, uh, you know, it's, it's been more than seven years. So I, I think she was right. I think that I couldn't help myself, but to try to tell everybody every experience that they have, how it could be a little bit better. And while that's a great way to run your business by finding little opportunities to improve and constantly improve, you don't want to do it with your employees because it drives them crazy. It makes them feel like nothing they do is good enough because you're, you're never praising everything that they do. You're finding fault with what they seem as every single thing that they do. And also I think that I've developed a more lax uh, relationship with my customers. And I think that that's improved because a lot of times I would come to customers as like, I'm the one who's putting my line in the sand and this is the way it's gotta be where now I can sit back, be more strategic, send out more emails that are hopefully reaching them on a, a an emotional level and getting them to really see the bigger picture and things like that. And, and I, I hope that more of my customers are liking me than they did back in uh, pre 2015. Yeah. Awesome, mate. What a realization there about, um, yeah, how, um, you know, they're not good enough and everything like that compared to, you know, the praise and everything that's really powerful. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, the proof is in the pudding of, um, yeah, people still being around after all this time. So sometimes we just need to get out of our own way, um, to, to make the business succeed. Love it. And, you know, with, with business owners, we have like, I guess, the left brain, right brain type of thing, right? The left brain, more logical, analytical, right brain, more, you know, creative, emotional type of people. And some people can do both quite well, but majority of people probably are more, you know, focused on one, um, you know, that is in their um, creative genius, I guess, there. So if, if we talk about um, creative minded entrepreneurs, um, how can, you know, the, the right brain is, how can they strengthen their analytical skill, their left brain side? so they can scale a successful business. Right, so it's it, it takes work. Uh, I mean, I am someone who can now go into Google Analytics and go into like Google Ads and really crunch numbers and look at uh, how people convert over say a 30 day to a 90 day period and, and, and compare that sort of stuff. But it didn't start there. It would have been overwhelming to have just started there. You just have to sort of take it easy and if you have someone who understands the data and can break it down to you uh, over time, you won't need them to constantly show you uh, how, to, how to get that data. Um, at the end of the day, everything is, that's measurable 
is important in a business. Uh, what I found out early on is you have to make sure it's statistically relevant. I, I was making decisions based off of three or four conversions on a landing page, and that's not enough statistical relevance to determine what's happening. So you have to have minimums for statistical relevance, knowing your market, knowing your landing pages, knowing what's working and stuff like that. And it, it, for me, some of it was trial and error. Uh, I would, you know, empower anybody uh, who who's not there yet and uh, who's still figuring it out to uh, just give it time. It might be 40 to 50 conversions on each ad campaign to determine whether one is better than the other. Uh, but, you know, sometimes things will skew a certain way initially. And when the, all of the information and data is back, it, it's completely the opposite of what you expected it was going to be based on the, the initial surge of sales or conversions and things like that. And um, I, I just say it's a skill set that you put a little effort and time into it. It will develop over time. It just uh, might take a little while. For me, I think that, it, you know, three to five years uh, is, is what it took for me to get to a point where I can you know, look at spreadsheets with the best of them and crunch numbers and things like that. But uh, everybody's journey is going to be a little bit different. But, it, you know, I, I, I would challenge anyone, you know, if this English major who does not, uh, you know, uh, uh, love math, doesn't like numbers, if I can do it, I know anyone else can do it. And it's just a matter of just being committed. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, maybe it's worth hiring a consultant for, uh, you know, a couple hundred dollars to walk you through all of your Google analytics and determine that a, you've set it up correctly and B what, what potentially could you see here and what they feel might be interesting. And, uh, you know, after doing that a few times, you will be able to see it for yourself and be able to draw out things that, uh, are are probably going to be really surprising for you. For me, in my business, it was determining how valuable my blog was because it was something that I set up over 15 years ago and I didn't think much of it. I just felt like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm in the press release business. I should be producing content. And I see now that it's it's part of the journey for a lot of my new customers where they visit e-releases through a blog. And they'll come back two or three times and then they start looking at the services and start coming back to different pages on the website and interacting with it. And then say four months, six months, even eight months after their initial visit, they're becoming customers. And uh, that that's really interesting and powerful. Yeah, definitely, mate. Love it. Um, definitely got to look at the numbers and I love how you've built yourself up and found that, you know, the right people that have the knowledge to empower you as well to make those decisions, which is awesome. Um, and I know that you scaled a business and sold it just before it failed in the dot-com crash um, there as well. So I'm sure there are a lot of big lessons from this. So what are some of the, the biggest lessons you learned from yeah, that experience? So I think for me, it was um, recognizing the top of a market or recognizing the, what the potentially the bottom could look like. And so I had a, uh, a newsletter business. It was consumer newsletters. We did poem a day. We had horoscopes. We had movie reviews. We had all different types of uh, consumer things. And we had uh, th like three new uh, uh three of these newsletters were over a million subscribers uh the movie reviews we had one that was for trivia 
and another one that was for freebies and freebies were really popular during the dot-com era because there was a lot of businesses that had a lot of money and they would give people free stuff uh to to try to lure them to become customers and things like that so um uh, it did really well at one point we were doing a little over fifty thousand a month in revenue for these newsletters and then all of a sudden it went to 30,000, 20,000, 5,000, zero. And that was all within like a five month period. And I just recognized that uh, I can't keep going forward at zero revenue. So I, 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 put, I put them up for sale. And a lot of people were just like, we know people are being cautious right now. But there's not, this isn't a crash. This isn't going to be a crash. And people thought you're just being short-sighted. And several people said, wow, this is a buying opportunity. So I, I sold uh, three newsletters for, one was for 250,000, one was for a little over 100,000. And then the third one, I think I threw in for like 50,000 or something like that. Um, and, and for me, it never recovered, you know, not for the consumer newsletter market, not for where I was at and, and what I was doing. So it, you know, it was a risk, uh, at the time that I was selling this asset. Uh, but for me, I felt like I had built this out of nothing. And now I took a, you know, a big influx of cash. I was able to pay off my student loans, my wife's student loans. We even had enough left over for a down payment on a new house. And so, um, you know, it, 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 it's not always timing, but it is looking at the pros and cons. And it was early in uh, the recession. And I felt like the recession was there because my revenue had gone from $50,000 down to zero. And, uh, but, you know, people still felt like it's going to, it's going to recover. This is just a temporary blip. And I was just like, I'm not sure. And so with that uncertainty, I felt like I didn't have much to risk other than putting these up for sale. I knew how I grew them to a million subscribers. I knew that I could do it again if I was wrong and and had to to re to re, redo things from the ground up. Yeah, awesome, mate. That forward sightedness as an entrepreneur, we've got to um yeah hedge our bets there because sometimes if you hold too long, then people always complain. Oh, I should have done this. So love it that you uh bit the bullet and and made that, mate, and, and set yourself up really well, um, which is awesome and. You know, coaching and mentoring is, is really important, right? In business, I don't know for myself, I have multiple coaches and mentors that have helped me. And I know you talked about a marketing mastermind before um, that you're in. I'm in masterminds as well. So how important has coaching mentoring been for you, um, you know, for your uh, personal as well as you know, business growth, especially? I think that I would not be anywhere near the level of business that I am. We're heading to $7 million a year in revenue for a business that started out of my apartment. And, you know, I, I might, for the first year, my business expenses were under $50 a month. And so uh, for starting from that to now, it's it's been a huge journey. And it's just amazing that I, I'm able to do that and have done it. And it just sort of goes to, if you apply yourself and continue to push forward uh, you know, you can, you can, you can make it work. Uh, I did not take any money out of e-releases for the first five years. I was fortunate that I had that newsletter business, the consumer newsletter business. So that was my bread and butter until it wasn't. But then I had the huge influx of cash. I just continued to take whatever money e-releases was producing and put it right back in the company. And um, it, after five years, it really got to a point where I could start 
to hire people and start to take money out. And it, it, you know, those lean years are so difficult. And I know that a lot of people who would have, you know, started the same business, uh, you know, if, if they had not been able to put that money back in, they might not have ever been able to reach that point where they could hire someone else and they might've just thrown in the towel. It's, it's very difficult. I know that small businesses are, are, you know, they're, they're hard to get right. And, but when you do, they, they have a momentum and just keep at it. Uh, you know, rely on coaches, rely on masterminds, find other like-minded people. For me, the masterminds, the greatest thing was what tools people were using. Oh, I found this really great website and it shows you all these, uh, you know, great analytics. I found uh, a website for split testing that really is great because they keep the cookie for uh, 110 days or something like that. And, uh, you know, all kinds of people who have valuable information. Uh, I found out about a ticketless ticket system called Help Scout that I use for all of our emails. Our customers don't realize that they've created a ticket. To them, it looks like they sent us an email and we just responded because it's in a ticket system, but it's just ticketless. There's no number or anything like some of the more you know, larger ticket systems, all of those little tools I found because of my masterminds and my coaching and things like that. And that's been very valuable. It also gives you a good idea of how people been able to make certain things work. You hear from some people that, oh, TikTok marketing just doesn't work or TikTok advertising just doesn't work. And all of a sudden you're in a group of other marketers and they're like, yeah, we, we spent six months trying to figure out how to make TikTok work, but now we have, and this is how we're doing it. And so there's lots of shortcuts to a lot of different things just by interacting with smart marketers who don't necessarily accept the fact that this didn't work. We're going to try to make it work. And this is what we did to finally make it work and tap into uh, a, a ROI for a particular product or service. Yeah, love and make. Completely agree with that. Um, powerful with coaching, mentoring, and that mastermind effect of um, yeah, getting there quicker at a lot of the same time. And it's been a powerful um, show today. And and as we're um, starting to wrap up a little bit more now, um, just finally, what one key piece of advice would you give to all the entrepreneurs watching and listening today? Measure as much as you can. Uh, I've talked a bit about A/B split testing. You know, try to develop lots of different split tests for your business that you can actually measure. Um, I, I have pages on my website that are not sales pages, um, but I might have a theory as to the pricing page of my website and what should be on there and what shouldn't. I will, I will often have split tests running on three or four pages on my website, just testing variations to see what has a higher conversion rate. And these are small incremental changes. You know, one page might be 5% better, but once you've completed that and now you're running with the 5% improvement, uh, you can go have another hypothesis and, ch and challenge it and see if you might be able to get another 5 or 10%. These are the incremental changes that a small business owner should do. You should not do these incremental changes with people. So uh, the, the micromanaging that I was doing was trying to get that 5% here, 5% there. And you don't want to do that with people, but you can certainly do that with processes. If there's something that you're doing in your business, like the way that you onboard someone and someone else says, well, that's not the way I onboard, or you've read a book that talks about onboarding and it has a different approach, you can actually just say, uh, every other customer going forward, I'm going to onboard this new way. 
and the other people are going to onboard another way, track it and look at them. And how long did they stay with you? How long, uh, you know, have they been working? What's the lifetime value? Remembering statistical relevance. So you want to have at least 30 to 40 in each sample group before you can actually start making actionable, uh, uh, you know, decisions based on what you're seeing. But uh, I, I think that the, uh, when you're building a business, uh, don't take anything for granted and don't make, you know, don't always assume that, you know, the right way to do it, be open to, to different challenges and try different things. Yeah. Love it, mate. I really agree with that. Um, so powerful to, to measure everything and, and statistical relevance, which is important as well. Got enough, um, sample sizes there to make the best decisions. Uh, so yeah, we connected through our networks where I learned about your awesome journey from being an editor to, you know, founding e-releases over 23 years ago, where you increase people's visibility and credibility. Uh, you know, you're an awesome guy and I'm sure you continue to help influencers and businesses tell their story to the world. Uh, you know, very grateful that we connected and I look forward to working with you. So, uh, Mickey, how can people find you and get in contact with you? Sure. So on my website, ereleases.com, all my social medias on the lower right. Uh, LinkedIn is a great way to reach me personally. Uh, it's just one of the few social medias that I understand pretty well and actually utilize. Um, and uh, I also have a free masterclass of strategies to build strategic press release campaigns uh, using press releases that work. And that's completely free. It's available at ereleases.com forward slash plan, P-L-A-N. I designed it for my customers to get them to do more strategic types of press releases, the types of press releases that do get uh, turned into articles. And uh, I'm opening that up to anyone who wants to uh, go through it. It's less than an hour of video. And anybody who goes through that can do a big audit for their business and what they're about and come up with ideas that I feel would build a strong PR campaign. Yeah, love it. Everyone definitely connect with Mickey e-releases and then check out that plan, right? I'm sure it's going to be awesome to be able to get in front of uh, and get the right content out there. And and thank you to everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. And please like, subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis or visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. And if you want to grow and scale your business, you can reach out to me on any platform to see if we're a good fit. And I completely agree with you. Or do I? The only way you'll know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results.